Playbooks with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friend. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. And I'm Wayne, the only friend here today. <laughs> yes, Jonathan backed out of today's podcast like a bitch. He is dead to me. Dead to me, Paul. <laughs> I think he's still recovering from Fear the Count. He was pretty wasted on some of those nights. No, are you kidding? I think he came wasted. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I was I was describing Jonathan to my wife last night, and I said, you know, reminds oh. me a little bit of Dean Martin in that, uh, you know, he's he always had a drink in his hand the whole time, and there was usually a cigarette in the other one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he just had this perpetual smile on his face, and there were times when he was he was just so blasted that he his eyes were just squinted shut and just smiling and talking the whole time. I mean, he was hysterical. He was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great time meeting both you and Jonathan at the, uh, at the con finally face-to-face. Yeah, right back at you, man. And you, I, I, let me just say right now, you guys did a wonderful thing with Fear the Con. I, the, uh, that, was, I, that is the most fun I've had in a great big long time. That was, yeah, was from beginning to end. Right. That was the best wing night I've been to, and I've been to like I've been to three now. And that was that was certainly the best wing night, and certainly the best con. I just it was fantastic, Wayne. Yeah, and all the other amazing friends were there. I had a chance to talk to Apollyon for quite a while. I had a chance to game with Apollyon. Yeah, same here. Same here. Apollyon was in my uh, zombie game that I ran, as was Jonathan. And you know, Chris uh, from Kicking the Dice Bags was supposed to be in, but he fell asleep downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> was missing something though there just wasn't enough paul yeah that's true of everything except me (laughs) everything except me does not have enough paul (laughs) and this podcast obviously this podcast has a little bit too much paul (laughs) yeah but you know the good thing is is that a lot of you lifts out in editing so yeah exactly if people only realized how much stuff i actually said that got lifted out in editing this show would be like a Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, while you guys were enjoying Fear the Con, I went to work in Tampa, Florida. And um, so I, it, it was an interesting experience because I get down there and I realize, oh, wait, there's a comic shop that I really like down here called A Comic Shop. Um, in Winter Park, Florida. And I'm like, that's between Tampa and Orlando, I think. And, uh, you know, so it's probably about 45 minutes, an hour away from the hotel. And I found out Daniel Way, writer of Deadpool and Wolverine Origins, um, was going to be there. So I got all excited. You know, I was like, oh, you know, I contacted uh, Daniel Way. And I said, hey, you know, are you up for an interview while you're in town? He said, sure, let's do it. And um, so Wednesday comes around. I left work at 2.30. I was like, all right, on my way to the comic shop. I'll be there in an hour, do my interview, you know, get a bite to eat, come back, be home around, you know, be back to the hotel like seven or something. Well, an hour later, I'm passing Orlando. Um, I'm passing Disney. I'm passing Universal Studios. So it took me an hour and a half, actually, to get to the comic shop. Oh, yuck. Yeah. Winter Park, Florida is apparently past Orlando when you're coming from Tampa, <laughs> not between Orlando and Tampa. So you have a really strong sense of geography, don't you? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, son of a bitch. You know, and so I, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I can see the comic shop. I look at my bag. I left my digital recorder at home. Oh, 
Yeah, for the interview. I'm like, I'm not going to transcribe this. You know, if I had my laptop, I could at least open Audacity or something and record it, but I didn't have that either. So I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. So I'm like, well, let me find a target. Took me an hour to find a target because I'm not familiar with the area. So, I mean, if you're keeping track, this is now two and a half hours. I'm sitting in the car, um, you know, looking for a target. And I drive through. Chinatown, I guess, of Winter Park, Florida, uh, because, you know, the, the very first thing you, you see when you hit Chinatown is this seedy Asian massage place. Right. I'm like, I wonder if I'm, that's one of those rubbing tugs. Is it, th- so there was no interview because you stopped there. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is I see this big, fat, white guy in a business suit walk, in, walk into the front door. I'm like, that is definitely a rubbing tug. Yeah. <laughs> and on the way to Target, I mean, this is within a five-block radius from there. There is literally at least ten more Asian massage parlors. <laughs> I was like, wow. You know, I mean, you, you could have a good day here. Oh, yeah. Um, for not a lot of money, I'm sure. <laughs> and you know, But I didn't stop at any because, you know, I was already late. So, you know, I hit Target. Got the stupid digital recorder, got back to a comic shop, introduced myself to Daniel Way. He's like, hey, I was actually just leaving for dinner. Are you going to hang out for a little while? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, all right, well, uh, I'll be back in an hour. So I went and killed an hour. Grabbed by the at, e. at the rub and tug? Yeah, at the rub and tug. There you go. I had my nice volcano finish. And, uh, I would have tried to, I tried to uh, join in on his dinner and just sit there and record him while he's trying to eat. You know, I thought about that, you know, but I didn't want to invite myself to his dinner. And two, he was going to sushi, and I'm not a big sushi guy. Uh, so I was like, ah, you know, yeah, I'll go, I'll go get my happy ending, be nice and relaxed after fucking, excuse me, <laughs> after all that time in the car. I, I came back, and I'm like, all right. Let's do, you know, I'm ready for my interview, you know. And, you know, the place is swamped. This is the most crowded I've ever seen a comic shop ever. <laughs> you know, and they have beer. And, you know, Daniel Way's kind of a celebrity in the comic book world, so he's talking to people, things like that. So it's another hour and a half before we're finally able to free up some time to chat. So I'm like, you know, I left work somewhere <laughs> around five hours ago. <laughs> uh, you know. And, uh, you know, finally I was able to chat with him, and he's a super nice guy. And uh, we'll have the interview not on this show, but I, I think probably coming up in the next week or so. Um, and uh, it, 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 I think it'll be a, a little bit of a jarring experience for our readers, unless Aaron does some quality editing. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, most of the staff at a comic shop it, it, it are gay. And uh, openly gay. And they make a lot of gay jokes, but I don't think they realized we were in the back room doing the interview. So every once in a while, someone will pop in the door and say, oh, I'll suck your dick. (laughs) It's like, oh. (laughs) All right. Nice. Middle of a a sentence. Let's see Aaron edit that one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that stuff's staying in. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I I had a Guinness with with Daniel Way, had my interview, and uh, took the long hour and a half drive home. And on on the drive home, I was like, you know what? After all this, I might as well make it worth my time, and I stopped by downtown Disney. So, you know, there were 
Comic books, beer, Robin Tugs, and Disney all in one day. That sounds like an awesome night. I, yeah. You know, uh, Fear of the Con was good, but uh, your evening sounds pretty good, too. <laughs> you know, the, if Fear of the Con had Robin Tugs, Wayne, next year. Yeah, Wayne, can you can you get that on the on the, on the the deck for next year? Ace Massage. He's <laughs> another place where they got raided. Oh, man. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, I guess there's nothing left, guys, but to talk about comic books. Yeah, uh, that's a bummer after all that. Yeah, really. Especially when you start off with Green with Lantern Core 46. <laughs> yes, our because Blackest Night update. The la- Almost our last Blackest Night update. Yeah, it's uh, third to last, right? Yeah. Um, And I, I know how Paul and I feel about this because we were chatting earlier this week. Um, Wayne, what, what did you think of Green Lantern Core 46? There were individual pages that I really liked on it, but... I don't know. There was something off with the flow of it for me. And I would have liked to have seen a little bit more with Ice in here as well, since she was on the cover. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of the character from back in the uh, Earl Justice League days, but there wasn't as much of her as I thought. I got a huge kick out of the floating refrigerator. Uh, yes. That yeah, was that nice scene I actually enjoyed, That the, the refrigerator scene. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I liked the refrigerator scene, uh, and for those of you listening, we're talking. It, it, it calls back to uh, Kyle Rayner's origin, where his girlfriend Alex was murdered by Major Victory and stuffed in the refrigerator. Uh, uh, the Ron Mars had written that story and created and started that whole trend of uh, what, what was then called, you know, girl in the refrigerator uh, stories, where you know the, the hero's female friend, uh, lover, wife, whatever, was victimized to move the story forward. Which yeah, we will actually Kyle mention later on today. Oops, sorry, Wayne. Go ahead. Yeah, particularly, Kyle can't seem to have any of his girlfriends stay alive. Exactly for for any substantial length of time. Yeah. Well, I like I like the appearance of the refrigerator. What I did not care for was uh, the additional scenes where it showed Major Victory throwing Alex around, um, because I always thought that was that was such a horrific image of her being stuffed in the fridge. I think it's more horrific if you don't know all the details. Because I was like, oh, yeah. he just knocked her around, <laughs> you know, and broke I mean, I imagine it being so much worse than that. Exactly. I mean, and, and so what they really did is removed a great deal of, of the horror from that scene. And I think it's a little cheap to, you know, for uh, Pete Tomasi to call back to Ron Mars' story and then make it less horrific than it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's terrible that she died, and it's terrible that, that you know, she had all of her bones broken in the process, and, and she was uh, left to, you know, feel all of that excruciating pain all the way up to the end. Okay, I get that. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, she died in her sleep. <laughs> you know, she's just taking a little nap. I get that. It's just when they showed the details of it, it just made it a little less horrific, and I didn't care for that. Yeah, the issue overall, and you know, this is one thing I told Aaron about Green Lantern Corps number 46, the issue hurt my head. You know, considering how for five months we talked about how nothing in Green Lantern Corps moved forward, and this issue felt like three issues worth of information jam-packed into one issue. Yeah. And, you know, this really could, you know, after, with all those months of nothing happening, this could have been spread out a little better. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the events of this issue. Um, because so much happens in this issue, um, yeah. you know, well, and I just, it, it just really was a, a little overwhelming. They deal with multiple Black Lantern 
Black Lantern girlfriends. Uh huh. They deal with uh, um, Vath getting his legs chopped off. Mm-hmm. They deal with the Anti Monitor. They deal. <laughs> well, and 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 you know, I I don't like fight scenes as a rule in comics. I mean, it's rare that the the big multiple fight scene I think works, and I think it mm-hmm. really did not work on many pages in this book. But but one thing that I thought did work was the little Tholian web thing that they yes. did. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is a great idea. But then, of course, I mean, and just like it seems like everything that turns out to be a great idea in the Blackest Night books, you know, is then, oh, that only worked once because it just got bigger, you know, because there's there's constant escalation in this book. And I understand that uh, sense of creating that drama. But, you know, the next thing you know, it's all working and then it all falls to crap because, you know, the next big thing came along. Now, what bugged me about ICE and or not bug me, but it has me asking a question because Ice is is one of those lanterns, one of those black lanterns who's actually alive, but she got co-opted because she's been dead before, just like the Justice League was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of curious what would happen if a ring got destroyed from one of them. Well, and, you know, at the end of that story, it looks to me that she was frozen so hard and they hit the ground so hard that she broke apart. You know, it doesn't look like she's buried in the snow. It looks like her her, her arms broke off. Do y'all think that she's just buried in the snow there? Because my question is, if she broke apart, and when everything's done, is she still broken apart? I guess we'll find out. I'm sure she's fine. Yeah, because I'm very curious about that. We haven't seen any major damage happen to any of the Black, Lantern, Black Lanterns that were right. still alive when they turned. So, you know, I guess kind of my question is, and, and I could understand this, particularly with that little bit of rage being left in uh, Guy, what if Ice dies at the end of this? Because, you know, Ice is such a minor character. It's no big deal for them to kill her off again. But um, she won't, because she's in that Justice League Generation Lost. Oh, is she? So we know she's okay. alive. Okay, well, then never mind that. Stupid Aaron. They had the chance to kill her because she's a character I like, so that means she's... <laughs> Definitely on the chopping block. Right. But since the ending's already been spoiled by another series, we know we're good. Yeah. 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 So as we know, no one important dies. Well, and, <laughs> and, and, and again, just to, just to complain a little bit more about this, how quickly they jump, how quickly Guy jumps from that to running into the anti-monitor. Yeah. It's like, oh, crap. Yeah. And the that, anti-monitor's here. Well, and, <laughs> and that's actually a pretty nifty scene. You know where the where the anti monitor is coming out of the the the, the battery and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, and it all happens so ridiculously fast. I, I I'm with you, Paul. It kind of hurts your brain. I don't I mean, know why something as huge as the anti monitor coming out of the battery and getting defeated all happen in Green Lantern Corp and not in the the main Black Lantern title. Yeah, I mean the anti monitor is a big deal. Yeah, I mean. You know, he was such a big deal in Sinestro Corps. Yeah. You know, and in Crisis on Infinite Earths, obviously. You know, why is he like just a toss away in this series? Honestly. Yeah. yeah well, and I mean, the, the the pacing on the book is is so weird, which is why it makes it seem like he's such a toss away. You could have had, I mean, as as much as we have dragged out this story over the last what nine months. Um, yeah. It seems to me that you could have made the the anti monitor story an issue all on its own, you know. Yeah. And, and I, I'm not yeah. trying to drag anything out, but it just seems to me like we're we're rushing to the end where we've had a whole bunch of just not a whole lot going on in the Green Lantern books, 
I mean, in the Green Lantern Corps books. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoy Blackest Night. I just think that the, their their pacing is way off on this yeah, on issue forty six. Why, why do we have so many of those three issue miniseries that were crap? Yeah, and we can't get a one shot dealing with the freaking anti monitors back. Yeah, it doesn't get to do anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it gets his ass handed to him by a bunch of second-string Green Lanterns. <laughs> I mean, really. I did enjoy how they took him out, though. No, I thought it was all very creative. It just happened so quick, you never got to enjoy the thought process with the characters. You're not yeah. worried about him doing anything, right. because he's not there long enough to do anything. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, wait, they already resolved it in this issue? You know, I expected that to bleed over into Blackest Night number eight. Yeah. But, I mean, if you think about it, you know, you're introduced. This is there are three books from the end, right? Yeah, and they have to resolve the Anti Monitor. They have to resolve White Lantern Sinestro. They have to resolve Black Hand Necron, mm-hmm. the dead super the superheroes who have been you know co opted as Black Lanterns. Yeah, you know, I mean, they have a lot to resolve in the remaining two issues. Oh yeah, um, I think we're going to be saying resolve it all. Yeah, I think some of it they may leave dangling for uh, brightest day afterwards. Maybe. And I just think we're going to be having this conversation at least twice more about how much was jam-packed into the final two issues of this series. Yeah. Um, you know, which is a bummer because it started off so strong. And I think the ending is still going to be exciting and action-packed, but I think it's going to be so, there's going to be so much happening at the same time that it's going to lose the impact. I agree. Now, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous <clears throat> of the ending. I've said that a few times, yeah. but they don't. They aren't necessarily good at ending things that they start really well. So I'm also wondering how much of this is just going to roll immediately over into Brightest Day. Because I hate a crossover that rolls into another crossover. Yeah. It's a pet peeve. I agree. It's the Marvel now, way. Now, uh, <laughs> what I, I mentioned that I, I don't much care for fight scenes, you know, and usually it's just a great big mess on the page, which is a lot of what we saw in Green Lantern Corps 46. Now, on the other side of that, is doing it right. And Siege number three, there are some terrific fight scenes in this book. Yes, I mean, it, it is so brilliantly choreographed. I sat there, I mean, just, I stopped reading the page and was just looking at every panel and how well it was laid out and what a sense you had of, hey, there's this monster war going on, you know? I, I and a lot of that goes to Olivier Capel. Um, and I don't want to suggest that, you know, uh, Gleason over on Green Lantern Corps is any less talented an artist. I, but I just, my God, the layouts on Siege are insane. You know what was really cool about Siege number three? Just about everything we predicted about this title happened in this issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've yeah. got Century coming out as the big bad guy for the rest of the title. Mm-hmm. You've got... Uh, Tony returning to be the one to take out Norman. Oh, and I love the retro armor that he shows up in. I like that yeah. it wasn't necessarily a fight with Norman. I got a huge kick out of him just standing there and being, you know, basically like Norman was beneath him. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, your armor's off. Yeah. Deal with it. It's funny, as I read comics now, I think about what would Wayne think of this? What would What would Paul think of this? And there's a scene in here that I was like, oh. <laughs> this is going to irritate Jonathan. <laughs> and it's, you know, Tony Stark laying there in his underwear, you know, all beat the hell up on the kitchen table or whatever that is. And, you know, we've seen him at the end of the last issue of Invincible Iron Man, clicking on stuff and reading, and he he seems well enough 
to uh, be doing research. But now, you know, here you've got Tony Stark. He looks like he just got, got out of bed and in such fashion that he has to sleep on the kitchen counter. And, you know, okay, well, I'll put on my Iron Man suit now. So, you know, where did that last moment that we saw him in an Invincible Iron Man factor into this? Yeah, yeah I'm going to come back to the table. I mean, he is an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking that this took place in between what we saw, like, in between, like, the final main scene in uh, Invincible Iron Man uh-huh. and that epilogue where he's awake and reading stuff. I, I get the I get the impression that Siege was in be- I get the impression now that Siege was in between that span of time. Really? Well, yeah, I guess uh, now be, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I kind of had that impression, too. I didn't when I read Invincible Iron Man, but now I do. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. would have been nice for this to say, this takes place before the end of Invincible Iron Man number blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the continuity stuff here just really hurts my brain as to where they are at a certain time. And the only reason that I, I'm really a stickler on this is that, you know, Siege is so tightly connected to what happened in Invincible Iron Man. Um, you know, you, you, it's blocking, you know, where are the, where are the players at a certain time? And it's frustrating to see them so out of position at different intervals. Yeah, yeah. It's frustrating to, you know, to see something like that, like yeah. this Iron Man scene specifically and think, okay, you know, why do I have to be the one to figure out where that fits in yeah. with the issue I just read, you know, last week or two weeks ago? Now, you know, going back to what Wayne said, Sentry as the villain of the piece is outstanding. I love what they're doing with Sentry as the villain. Yeah, uh, I do too. I mean, yeah, I'm staring at that page and I'm thinking, is he an old one? Yeah, he, I mean, he's just, uh, he's just freaky deaky, man. And bringing, crashing Asgard down, that was awesome. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew it was going to move. I didn't expect it to be completely demolished. Yeah. That actually was surprising. Well, now we know why J. Michael Straczynski didn't want any part in this crossover. <laughs> you know, one of the coolest things about the issue for me was the beginning, where you've got uh, the president being briefed. And you just have his voiceover, you know, and his advisor's voiceover. And he's like, well, what do I do? Do I send people? Oh, wait, Captain America's there. And just the confidence he has in Captain America to not interfere with it. Yeah. And then Captain America there being Captain America leading everyone. And you've got the guys bantering in the back. I can't believe I'm really a part of this. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing that I didn't care for, or I, I feel like I'm, I might like the individual issues, but the fact that they need it is a little annoying. Is uh, this ad for in April 2010? You get the siege one shots uh, of Captain America, Spider Man, Loki, yeah. Young Avengers, and Secret Wars. What's that Wars. all about? I guess they're trying to, you know, have these series, you know, these individual one shots as to focus specifically on these characters at, you know, during you know what they were doing in siege. And I'm like, do we not have? enough Siege-related books to explain what happened during Siege. Yeah. You know, I get, okay, you know, we don't have Spider-Man. We don't have Young Avengers. Secret Warriors is doing its own thing. But then why Loki's can't that... Loki's kind of missing. Yeah, well, Loki could be... Why isn't Loki resolved in Thor? Yeah. You know? Um, you know, it's like they're, they're putting these series out to fill in holes in the storyline. Um, you know, and I get that. You know, they wanted to keep Siege at four issues. But if you really think about it, if you can't tell that story in four issues then it's not a successful four issues. If you yeah. need five more issues to tell the full story, then it's technically a nine-issue series. Well, and the Plus only, that's the Siege o- Fallen. The only one so, there that, that I'm interested in is uh, the Loki book, 
because I think there's a lot that hasn't been told about Loki's involvement. Mm. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm not sure the point of the other four. Yeah, because we see them. Avengers one be- I get the Young Avengers one because they don't have their own title right now. Right. So I tend to get their crossover with all the big things because that's the only place you get their story right now. Right. Which is kind of... Okay, it's more than kind of. It's annoying. Yeah. They have the characters out there. They put them in the spotlight. But they won't put them in their own book. They won't give them their own miniseries. They're just there to show up during crossovers. Yeah. Basically. You know, and, the, and the, I think they're waiting on um, What's-His-Face to come back and write them. And he has a miniseries starting this year. I forget the guy's name. The one who wrote the first miniseries. Oh, that guy. That guy. <laughs> he, he used to work on the OC. That much I remember. Our comics knowledge is unparalleled. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's just uh, shockingly amazing. Alan Heinberg. Thank you. Um, but I'll probably pick up Secret Warriors because it's actually written by Jonathan Hickman. And if anyone is a stickler for continuity, it's Jonathan Hickman. Yeah. Um, so I have a feeling, you know, his story will literally explain how they have time to do siege during, you know, the events of Secret Warriors. So I, you know, I I like Jonathan Hickman. I'll pick that one up. I'll probably pick up the Captain America one too, because even though this has pretty much been siege Captain America, this issue, I still kind of curious what they're going to do with it because I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying Steve Rogers in this miniseries. Yeah. So the only one we're not picking up is Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the only one I'm picking up is Loki, but uh, I'll be happy to listen to what you guys have to say about the other ones. Damn right you will. Yeah. You will I'm be sure ecstatic. Up Spider-Man. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, I, you know, I, with the with with some some minor minor points of contention, I think Siege Number Three is a huge winner. Yeah, I think it's a great issue. Um, I think the only, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't think the miniseries or those one-shots bring fault to Siege number three. I think they basically are saying that there's more story to tell them what we're getting in these issues. And I didn't, I wouldn't feel that way if they didn't exist. Yeah. You know, if they didn't exist, I would be perfectly fine with Siege on its own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the issue. I enjoyed the way Norman Osborn was taken out because that's the way that's... Norman Osborn, you know, he's, he's not, I mean, you know, he's a big guy now, but when everyone teams up, it's so easy to take him down. I mean, he's just a green goblin. Yeah. yeah. I like that it wasn't a big fight. I like you, you have Tony Stark gets his chance to get his revenge and Spider-Man gets a chance to be the one to take him down too. Yeah. I and mean, once the armor's gone, it's Spider-Man that throws the punch. I didn't, however, like the green goblin makeup he had on under the armor. Why was it was it too much uh, eyeliner? <laughs> I don't I mean he's been so in control and he's been so manipulative and planning, and the Norman part has been been the part of his mind that's been in control all this time. That having that on under, his behavior was still Norman until the mask, until the helmet came off, and then suddenly he's Green Goblin. But it kind of bothered me that he would put the makeup on because wouldn't you think after you? go and take down Asgard, you're going to want to play it up to the press. Yeah, you know... you're not going to do that in this. It's kind of funny, because it's... it's Even though it's written, and we've talked about this with Bendis before, with the the new Avengers tie-ins, it's almost like it's two different writers. Because the Bendis who writes Dark Avengers would know that 
Norman Osborn wouldn't do that because Norman Osborn likes to parade his face around. I don't know. I, you know, I, 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 I think I disagree with you guys because, you know, in the, the last several other books leading up to this, we've seen Norman losing a little bit more and more control. And, you know, the whole siege on Asgard was really him. It was really more of a goblin move than a Norman move. You know, uh, everyone around him was like, you know, this is crazy. You shouldn't be doing this. You know, there, there's there's not a successful end game here. He defied presidential orders. I mean, I really do think that's more a goblin kind of thing versus the cool planning uh, of Norman that we know of when Norman's in control. So I, I it didn't surprise me to see the, the goblin face on him when he came out of the armor. Oh, whatever. You're wrong. <laughs> um, now the one thing I, that I thought was a total waste is this Maria Hill thing at the end. Am I the only one who read it? Oh, the uh, the uh, White House uh, briefing or Conference. whatever. Yeah, um, I, I I did not read I don't it. Think it. I don't think it would have been a waste if it wasn't for the fact that you know that's basically how the series started was with the president getting his briefing and. This seemed to be just more of what we already heard earlier in the book. Yeah, this is literally like a description of what we just read. Yeah, and that's why I didn't read it. I eyeballed it and went, meh. Yeah, but anyway, Siege number three, I did enjoy. Um, unlike <laughs> Siege Embedded number three. Holy crap, this book, you know, it started off okay. The second issue was... Not so good. Third issue is just garbage. Absolute garbage. Um, you know, and, and you're running into the timing be- issue uh, because at the end of Siege Embedded number three is when Asgard falls. Now, if you remember, at the end of Siege Embedded number two, um, they weren't even at Asgard yet. So, you know, the, the, the timing is way off on this. And basically, Ben Riley co-ops a ride on one of the planes going to Asgard. And who, who co-ops a ride? Ben Riley? Oh, not, I'm sorry, not Ben Riley. Ben yeah, Eric. I was like, wow, cool. That, that I should have picked that book up. Sorry, sorry, Ben Yurick. Um and this get this. The plane is attacked and goes crashing down by Venom. I'm like, wait, you mean Venom of Dark Avengers, who's on their side, just attacks this plane, starts eating everyone inside? You know, and this has the um, the it, journalist in... The plane also has the journalist in it that Norman Osborn hired to cover Asgard. And so, but Venom comes crashing through the pilot's window and starts eating everyone inside the plane. I'm like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. You know, based on what we've seen in Siege... You know, and the fact that Norman Osborn hired this guy and Venom's just going to attack the plane and bring it down, um, it, it just totally didn't make any sense to me. I absolutely didn't think it made, you know, it didn't flow. Um, the story just was just bad. I, I really did not like Siege Embedded number three. You know, I didn't pick up Siege Embedded number three for the for the, the main reason that the ending was really kind of revealed to us in Siege number two. You know, and when we had that conversation last time, I was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to get embedded number three. And I, the, I seem to have made the right decision. 
Yeah. Well, Loki's not, I mean, not Loki. Um, what's his face? Volstag is not even in this issue. Yes. Yeah, they story entirely over to Thor, I've noticed. Yeah, so I, it, it's like this has now been, <clears throat> excuse me, Ben Urich's storyline. Well, you know, having read the first two books and listening to your commentary on it, Paul, I'm not sure what the point of Embedded is. Nor am I, and I don't know if I care enough to pick up issue four to find out. Well, you know, I, these Embedded books, you know, we, we had the same kind of thing, you know, with Frontline mm-hmm. uh, during Civil War and during Secret Invasion. And, you know, the idea was to give you a feeling of what it's like to be, you know, on the ground or in the action and you're not a superhero, you know? Yeah. And, you know, by the time it's all said and done, it's going to be issue four before Ben Yurik actually gets to siege, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Well, and it just, you know, what really took me out of the issue was the Venom scene. Yeah. You know, they are all on the same side. It's Hammer and Dark Avengers. Why would a Dark Avenger start eating hammer soldiers in the middle of the siege for no reason. Makes no sense. He was hungry. Well, yeah, but, you know, then why not eat some Asgardians? You know, it just totally didn't make any uh, sense to me. Those Asgardians will repeat on you. You don't want those. That's true. Yeah. They give you the uh, it's Asgardian like e- runs. Yeah, it's like eating White Castle. You don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, dar- oh, wait, I skipped uh, Dark Avengers number 15 on our outline. I went yeah, all out of order. Yeah, Whatever. you did yeah, you did. I'm more important. But, Wayne, you read this, right? Yes, I did. Now, speaking of women in refrigerators, <laughs> let's talk about Dark Avengers number 15. What'd you think? I'm still really enjoying this. I mean, I haven't been reading Dark Avengers until the last couple issues. They're the Sentry story. And as much as I hate the Sentry as a hero, Sentry makes a pretty good villain. Yeah, you know, the the Sentry issues have been the best issues of the series so far. Um, Now, for those who uh, did not pick up this issue, it is revealed, which has only been hinted at thus far, um, which I thought was a little cheap, that Norman Osborn's secret weapon this entire time is the Void. It's not the Sentry, it's the Void. Um, You know, in the Cabal, where his secret weapon attacks the Doctor Doombot, it's the void that's attacking. Huh. Yeah, and he seems to know exactly what the void is. And he seems to have some way to actually... Yeah, he gets through to him. I don't yeah. know if it's his own crazy coming out or what, but he, he can talk to the void logically and make him turn back into Sentry. Yeah. Th- this issue takes place pretty much around the same time as Siege the Cabal. Um, and leads into Siege number one a bit. Uh, well, not even really leads into Siege number one. It's mostly just that it, you know, it takes place during Siege the Cabal. Um, but also continues the story from last issue where Hawkeye slash Bullseye, um, has been hired to, by Norman Osborn, to take out the Sentry's wife. See, if it wasn't for the fact that they specifically tell the Sentry the wrong place for her to have gone out of the helicopter, yeah. I would expect that he's going to bring her back to life again. Yeah, but that's why he lied. Yeah, with her being dropped somewhere else, he'll never find the body. and I think she may really be dead this time. So, obviously, Hawkeye succeeds in his endeavor, which brings me back to my women in refrigerators comment. (laughs) um, Because you have basically three pages of Hawkeye tormenting this woman, calling her ugly, and then a full page of him choking her to death. 
Yeah. I mean, we have six panels of him choking her, and then one of him tossing her out of the helicopter, and then three of her falling into the water. <laughs> um, so it, it's a pretty brutal scene. Um, I love that they're having this nice, normal conversation, and then he just gradually starts turning it towards, uh, you know, why do you think this country likes you? You're not pretty. Do you <laughs> even own a mirror? Yeah, exactly. Nice. I mean, it's it's a it's a very effective scene. It is brutal. I'm surprised we haven't heard more on it, but I guess people are just used to this in comic books nowadays. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it is a very effective scene how he takes her out, and uh, you know, obviously, sent when when Sentry finds out, he flips out and turns into the void immediately. Um, so you know, this definitely does, you know, like we said, basically since Siege Number One. <laughs> You know, this is why this, you know, Hawkeye's going to kill his wife, which is why Sentry's such a prick during Siege, you know, and becomes the Void, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. you know, we've, we've, we've basically called this from the very beginning. Um, but it is a, you know, for someone who doesn't normally like Dark Avengers, this issue was good, and the art was probably the best on the series so far. Yeah. I mean, Wayne, did you, I mean, the art in this book was incredible, I thought. Yeah, especially the scenes in the helicopter. Yeah. The detail in her face, the detail in her facial expressions. I mean, this looks kind of like Alex Ross art, even on the. Uh, it really does. Having the conversation with her, it's almost like he could they colored them, colored the pages without inks or something. I don't know, but it almost looks like painted art. It's it's beautiful stuff. Um, my only qualm with the issue is the way that Mike Diodato drawing uh, draws, um, the void, because it's. Entirely different than how Olivier Copiel draws yeah, the void. He draws him like Venom. Yeah, he draws him like Venom. Um, whereas Olivier Copiel draws him almost like you know, like an old one, like you said. Um, you know, th- they are very different interpretations of what is essentially the same thing. But Dark Avengers fifteen is good, um, and and I actually this is my first time recommending the book. <laughs> A first. Yeah, you know, they only had one more chance to get it right, right? Because Dark Avengers 16 is the last issue. So. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how they wrap that up. But that wasn't the only dark book I read this week. Your week was just filled with darkness, wasn't it, Wayne? Yep. The last issue of Dark X-Men came out this week, number five of five. And I'll be honest, I picked this title up because Jonathan mentioned that uh, Nate Gray, X-Man, was in it. That was the whole reason I was getting the miniseries. Because I was a huge fan of the character. I didn't like what they did at the end before they killed him off, but huge fan of the character. And I come to the title expecting that's going to be the only thing I like about it is that they're bringing him back in some way. And I'm really surprised by how much I'm liking the interactions between Mystique and Dark Beast and Mimic and some of the others. And overall, I'm just really enjoying the miniseries all the way through. This issue happens almost entirely inside Norman Osborn's head. And it is mental constructs within his mind dealing with Green Goblin, and you kind of get exactly why Green Goblin has stepped back and let Norman run things. And you get a little more glimpse into Norman's childhood and why he became Green Goblin and just why he's so messed up. And I won't spoil the ending because I know Paul, you said at one point that you wanted to pick this up and trade. Yeah, but you know, go ahead and spoil it. I mean, I'm going to pick it up either way. So, I mean, if it's something that's worth talking about, the character I like so much is 
you know, he's back in a physical form and he's in the universe again. He's been tortured by Norman and his people and he's locked up somewhere, but now that Norman's not in power and siege, there's an opportunity for him to return. So I got what I wanted out of it, which was uh, you know, a character I love so much coming back, even if he's not physically out there right now, but there's potential for that. And I found a surprisingly good title along the way. Now, is it, awesome. this isn't a book that's... Uh, this is a miniseries, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. It was a five-issue miniseries, and this was the last issue of the miniseries. Huh? And so was it good all the way through? It was good all the way through. Yeah. I, said, I, I, came for, I came to it for one character, and I found that even though I normally don't like the other characters in the book, they're written really well here, and they have good interactions. Hmm. I might have to check it out and trade. One more book I have to thank Jonathan for, and he didn't even read it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you know X-Men. <laughs> were you going to say the same thing? You go. <laughs> Aaron and I are just going to complete each other's sentences for the rest of the show. Well, it's because, you know, we're a couple. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, the X-Men were also involved in Doom War this week. Um, issue two of Doom War came out uh, with the siege on Wakanda to take it from the control of Doctor Doom. And uh, we still haven't seen the Fantastic Four, nor have we seen Deadpool. Um, who I thought were involved heavily in this crossover, but I guess maybe later on. Yeah. Um, it's still primarily the X-Men and uh, the Black Panthers. What'd you think, Aaron? Well, first I have to say, you know, continuing from its, it's the, 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 uh, oh gosh, words. Um, <laughs> continuing from issue one, the cover is awful on this book. Yeah. This is, I mean, it's one of the worst covers I've seen in a great big long time. And I'm just disgusted by the fact that it's John Romita Jr. who who did it because he's such a talented artist. And I mean, this looks like something that he did, you know, in his sleep or when he was drunk or, you know, with his left hand. I don't know. It was just, it's a terrible cover. But that said, I love this book. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, you know, and the, the cover for Doom War number three is just as bad. Just yeah. To, I don't, um, I don't understand the, I, I feel like he's trying to do something there artistically, and, I, and I'm just not getting it. Um, the cover art is just exceptionally bad. The interior work is great. You know, yeah. the interior work is done by uh, Scott Eaton, and I, I, I thoroughly enjoy the, the artwork, and it really serves the story strongly. Um, I love what a bastard Dr. Doom is in this book. You know, yeah. a lot of times, Doom is your gentleman villain. You know, he's a, he's your, your, your blue, but blue blood aristocrat. You know, he is, you know, very almost noble in his villainy, you know, um, not so in this book, <laughs> you know, I mean, he is a grade a number one top notch bastard in this book. And I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed how black Panther and uh, T'Challa, Mm-hmm. were just kicking ass and, you know, paying no quarter. I mean, you know, they were, there's a scene where uh, Nightcrawler is, is challenging uh, uh, Black Panther. And bear in mind, Black Panther is no longer T'Challa. It's his uh, sister. sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, you know, that man dropped it, you know, dropped, surrendered his arms. You know, he, he, he dropped his weapons and yet you still killed him. And, you know, she explains that the only way that Wakanda has been able to preserve the society that it's had for thousands of years 
is because they don't accept any quarter, you know, that when they fight, they fight to the death and, you know, you know, sorry for you. <laughs> you yeah. I, yeah. I, and that's how, and even uh, T'Challa says the same thing. Yeah. You know, he's like, you know what? <laughs> this is how you deal with traitors. That's right. That's right. And I, I, I just, I, I love it. I love, I love the book and I hope they don't go down some path where, Black Panther becomes bloodthirsty, you know, because Wolverine warns, you know, he says, you know, careful kid, take it from me. You don't want to lose yourself. And I hope that they make the distinction that it's not that she's bloodthirsty, but that this is just the way you take care of business in Wakanda. You know, we're kicking it. We're, we're kicking it Wakanda style. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I'm wondering about this miniseries is whether this is going to be its own story or if this is one more piece of the puzzle to get ready for the heroic age. Because I'm seeing a lot of things in various books that I think are just leading up to the heroic age. Yeah. And I'm sure it is. I, you know, I, I have a sense that we've had Norman Osborn being the big bad for so long. And I think doom is pro it may be emerging as the big bad, which is kind of a, a retro, you know, he is your villain. You know, he, I think he's going to be orchestrating some stuff. I I'm, I'm hopeful that that's the direction they're taking. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell, um, you know, uh, how this is going to fit. I think it's mostly going to affect the Black Panther series more than anything else. Yeah. Um, now, one question I had: Did you understand what happened at the ending? Well, I I think that what and what Paul is describing. There is a scene at the end. Um, Doom has been trying to break into the vault where all the vibranium is, you know, which is the whole reason he has, you know, uh, invaded Wakanda to begin with. Is is he wants the vibranium? And, uh, there's this big fault. He can't break the lock. He had, uh, uh, T'Challa's mom down there. And he told him, he said, uh, uh, he told Aurora Storm, you know, who, you know, is a thief from back in her days in Cairo. He says, you got to pick that lock. And she says, and she tried it and couldn't do it. And he says, well, you know, you're either going to pick the lock or I'm going to shoot this old lady in the head. Well, he never shoots the old lady in the head, but when T'Challa shows up to rescue him, he's got, uh, Aurora with her mouth gagged and her hands bound. And, and he says, you know, I'm going to count to five. And when I'm done, if you haven't opened up the vault, I'm going to kill the woman you love. So you get to make a choice between your treasure or the woman you love. Well, and T'Challa makes no choice. He, you know, uh, doom counts down and he has not chosen the treasure or Aurora. Um, he's just, he's just done nothing. And, Doom appears amused by this and, you know, throws Aurora over to T'Challa and says, farewell, T'Challa. This game has been most satisfying. And when he leaves, T'Challa opens up the vault of the vibranium and it's all gone. And it says checkmate inside because they've been talking about how they've been playing a chess game all the way through. So Doom somehow finally got it open. And because Aurora is gagged, I'm guessing that she was able to open the door. Uh, the whole thing was just basically him screwing with his mind. Exactly. He already had what he wanted, and he wanted to put him in the position to make him choose when his choice didn't matter at all. Exactly. So uh, that's okay. that's my interpretation of the Well, end. you know what? I totally appreciate the book now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I, agree. I understand where you're coming from on that, because uh, reading that last page, it's kind of hard to understand. Uh, in the artwork on those last couple of panels that T'Challa opened the vault after Doom left. Yeah. You know, cause I, the first time I read it, I was like, he just turns around and there's checkmate there on the wall. Why didn't he see that before? You know, but, it, and then there's uh, those two very small panels, which indicate that he's opened the, uh, the vault. 
Because Doom was already gone. Yeah, Doom had already left. And so he was opening the vault to see, you know, to check that the vibranium was still there. Now, the the question that I have, Paul, mm-hmm. when you're looking at those at those last pages, where's T'Challa's mom? Well, she's still alive, I thought. I well, she hadn't been killed, but you know, none of Doom's men are in the room anymore because you know before there were Doom there were Doom guys hanging around with guns and whatnot. And Maybe I think she was taken. I think they absconded with his mom. So I think that yeah. you know Doom War Number Three is going to be you know where's Mama? Yeah, yeah. Where's I think Big so. Where's Big Mama? Yeah, it's going to be a story <laughs> like that, you know. But uh, yeah, but anyway, I, I am enjoying the series, uh, and you know, even more now that I understand what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and that's now, just a little service we provide here at Funny Books with Aaron and Polly and their amazing friend. Yep. <laughs> now. Speaking of things that don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> You've got to be getting ready to talk about Batman. <laughs> I am getting ready to talk about Batman. Batman 697 reveals who Black Mask has been since the Battle for the Cow storyline. Um, and it is quite a reveal. Um, which, unfortunately, doesn't... It, it makes a little sense. Um, but it, it also kind of conflicts a little bit with some of the um, storytelling we've seen in other titles, uh, that Black Mask, and the reason I wanted to talk about this on the show is specifically because Wayne's on the show, um, has been revealed to be Dr. Jeremiah Arkham. Interesting. That actually, with uh, the Arkham Reborn, that kind of makes sense. Exactly. The only thing it conflicts with is that whole jester thing yeah. that we talked about um, you know, in the finale of uh, Ar- Arkham Reborn. Um, but this, this six-issue series, uh, written by Tony Daniel, written and drawn by Tony Daniel, has been entirely about Black Mask and what he's doing to Gotham. Um, and it has been revealed that Black Mask is Dr. Jeremiah Arkham, which is going to lead into um, David Hine, who wrote that Arkham Reborn series, is doing a run on Detective Comics that will continue so the storyline that he began. My immediate question there is, when did he become Black Mask? Because... During Arkham Reborn, Black Mask was messing with him. Well, I think he was Black Mask that entire time. That's he was the messing thing with himself. Yeah, I actually kind of like that if that's the case. Yeah, I, I think he has been Black Mask ever since Battle for the Cal began. Um, that, that is kind of an interesting twist to it that I never would have seen coming. Yeah, so I mean, I, I like the twist. Don't I, I like the twist very much? Um, it is just about the only thing that I liked in this six-part storyline <laughs> um, by Tony Daniel. Um, but I, it is a good twist. I am looking forward to seeing what David Hine does with it in uh, Detective Comics. Um, because he is going to begin a run on there that's, like I said, very tied into what he has done in Arkham Reborn. Um, and he says, will feature the same characters that were in that series and the continuing story of Jeremiah Arkham. A um, couple of things I, I didn't... I have a new title then. Yeah. A uh, couple of things I didn't like about Batman 697 um, is the reveal that Catwoman now has her own sidekick named Catgirl. Um, oh. uh, <laughs> and Catgirl is, is pretty retarded looking. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. So she doesn't, she doesn't look hot? No. She's, she's, a, she's a little girl. And she has pink boots and little pink accents how to her Catgirl give, outfit. How can you give someone like Catwoman a sidekick and not make them hot? Yeah. Well, you know, she's like 12, so... It's just wrong. That's how. 
so, you know, there was that. There's also the fact that it seems like the Riddler is back to being a bad guy. Um, so this six-issue storyline did a lot that I didn't like, did very little that I did like, but what it did do that I liked was very good. Um, so, you know, you may want to pick it up in trade, but, you know, I basically just told you the most important thing that happened anyway, so... <laughs> just buy Detective Comics when David Heim starts writing it, because Arkham Reborn did did kick ass, and I'm very much looking forward to his run on Detective Comics. When's he due to start yeah. writing on Detective? I think with issue 700, which is uh, in a month or two. Okay. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to that, because I haven't picked up a Batman title in a little while. Basically, Damien just pushed me off. I really hate that character. Well, I'm still reading Detective, but because... Uh... Batwoman's been pushed so far to the side in that title. I'm I'm really kind of on the fence with it. Even yeah, well, when I- that storyline ends, is when uh, we'll get that uh, that David Hines storyline. I see. See, I kind of thought I wouldn't come back to Batman until the return of Bruce Wayne and all of that big thing, you know, big story we have coming out. But it sounds like I'm returning to Detective earlier than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, speaking of the return of Bruce Wayne, that storyline has already begun. In the pages of Batman and Robin number ten, um, I, I tell you what, Paul, I, I I picked that that book up and pulled it off the shelf and flipped through it and put it right back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I want to apologize. I'm sorry. Detective Comics is way past issue seven hundred. It's Batman that's creeping up to seven hundred. Okay. It's Detective Comics eight sixty four. Okay. Um, that will be written by David Hine and will still feature the question co feature by Greg Rucka. But that's when David Hine picks up the title. Um, now, Batman and Robin number 10, <laughs> which Aaron did not buy. That's correct. I, I actually will say I enjoyed this issue. Cool. cool. Um, I, I love the art. I love Andy Clark. Uh, I think he's a great artist. Um, I, you know, I, I like some of the new, I like the character that they've introduced in this uh, storyline. Of course, I don't remember his name. <laughs> You know, he, he's one of those, like, weird... Uh, Mr. Sexton. Something Sexton. Um, he's he's a detective. And I, I'm getting the impression that he's he might be Bruce Wayne. That's why I kind of like his character. He was introduced a couple of issues ago as this, like, world-famous detective who has his mask... Who has a face entirely covered... His mask entirely covers his face. Um, and uh, he does wear a top hat, not a fedora. And uh, so he... Um, you know, he's just this world-renowned detective, and I'm getting the impression that he actually might be Bruce Wayne, um, which will probably be revealed at the end of you know one of these storylines. Um, now, what I liked about this issue, and I actually, you know, it, it is that Damien has now grown fond of Alfred and Dick Grayson. He's grown fond of doing the right thing as Robin, but he has been programmed by his mother to kill Dick Grayson. Um, so he's basically fighting the urges that his mother has programmed into his brain. Um, and in addition to that, we get a, basically a search through Wayne Manor while Dick Grayson basically uncovers the changes that have been made to the mansion by Bruce Wayne being lost in time, which are basically secret passageways that weren't there before that Bruce Wayne has now put into place by being lost in time to basically lead them to the path to bringing him back to life or finding him. 
So they look through the Wayne ancestors, you know, they look through portraits of the Wayne ancestors for little hints. It's almost like a, a little mystery um, thing. And, uh, you know, they, they just come across all these, you know, references to what Bruce Wayne was doing while he was lost in time. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it does lead into the return of Bruce Wayne, which I think begins next month or in two months. Uh, actually, I think it begins in April. And, um, you know, I, I actually really kind of enjoyed this issue. It was much different than anything I've seen in the, in, in the title so far in that it was allowed room to breathe. It was basically one large scene with them seek going through the manor instead of what Grant Morrison typically does, which is just basically jam pack a cluster screw of stuff into one issue. Um, this felt like, you know, it just had some nice breathing room. I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the ideas. So Batman and Robin number 10, actually pretty good. I'm not buying it. (laughs) (laughs) After hearing that, I might pick it it up. I'm really looking forward to the return of Bruce Wayne, which means it'll probably be disappointing. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure the return of Bruce Wayne is going to be disappointing. Um, But it can't be worse than Captain America Reborn. It just can't. (laughs) True. But you know what? If if the return of Bruce Wayne sucks, at least we have Batman Beyond, the miniseries, starting, uh, I think, in June to, to... to, to keep us company. I don't know if you've recorded that one as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. So, Bruce Wayne is returning, and the Hulks are falling over at Marvel. Well, haven't they fallen? Yes, this <laughs> week... Um, well, there's one more book in the Fall of the Hulk storyline, but it's it's more backstory than it is... Um, actually, there's two more. There's She-Hulks, the, and there's one more issue in the Red Hulk storyline. Um... But the actual Fall of the Hulk's storyline itself has reached its conclusion. Um, and, and what was the actual storyline? Because every week I pick up the book, I flip through it, I have no idea what's going on, and I still don't see who the Red Hulk is. Because that's what I look for. And we're not, we don't know who the Red Hulk is yet. Okay. Um, but the Fall of the Hulk storyline is basically the intelligentsia, who are these super brilliant uh, Hulk villains, like the leader and the Red Ghost and characters like that, and MODOK, have formed this group to basically, they are kidnapping the eight smartest men on Earth and basically stealing their brain power. But that's not their only goal. Um, as revealed in this storyline, is they're also harnessing the power of the Hulks, thus the fall of the Hulks, to build their own army of Hulks. Um, so, you know, and at the same time, they have Betty Banner, or Betty Ross. Betsy? Betsy? Betty? Betty. Betty, Betty. Uh, Betty uh, captive. So, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne, damn, Bruce Banner, <laughs> um, you know, is basically, you know, his main goal is saving her, um, you know, and, and, you know, but the Red Hulk is trying to stop the plans of the intelligentsia. Well, at the same time, what they're basically doing, since the intelligentsia is smarter than they even realize, they're playing right into the intelligentsia's trap. And at the end of the storyline, the intelligentsia have won. They have, you know, they've, you know, basically, um, you know, taken most of the characters off the board. Bruce Banner has been kidnapped and is in the, you know, has been put in the contraption with the other smartest men in the world that they've already kidnapped, like Reed Richards and uh, Dr. Uh, Doom and characters like that, and Hank Pym. And not only that, but 
they have created an army of hulks, um, not only from their own soldiers, but from hulked out heroes. Um, like we get Thor, uh, Captain America, Bucky Cap, uh, Thing, Miss Marvel, Human Torch, Iceman, Cyclops, Storm, and Deadpool have all become, and, and Spider-Man have all become hulked out heroes. Um, so they've all been given the Hulk treatment. So they're all like Hulk smash, not smart characters. Um, so, you know, that, that hulked out hero storyline is going to continue in that series written by Jeff Parker, I think starting next month, uh, that we talked about with him in our interview. Um, so, you know, the, the, the world war hulks is going to be involving the hulked out heroes. It's going to be involving, you know, the stuff that's going on in the intelligentsia. And I have to admit, fall of the hulks was very good. Um, I will say, obviously, as expected, the Greg Pack issues were way better written than the Jeff Loeb stuff, and the Jeff Parker stuff was great all throughout. Um, but I actually enjoyed the storyline very much. So, you know, it, it's definitely, I think, worth picking up in trade. I'm just hoping after the uh, after the next big Hulk storyline, we'll get back down to just having one Hulk. Yeah, I think they're building up to that. I th- and, I th- and I think that's why we're getting so many Hulks now is, you know, they're basically flooding all these Hulks to bring us back down to basics. Um, and I hope that's what we're going to get. I hope either Greg Pack or uh, Jeff Parker are on board for it. Um, because if it's Jeff Loeb, then I'm sorry, I'm just not interested. Despite the fact that I've really enjoyed Fall of the Hulks, if uh, Jeff Loeb is the guy behind Hulk from now on, it's not my thing. Well, uh... You know, while the Hulks are falling, Green Arrow is falling over in the uh, DC universe. So, you know, they've got that green thing going on. You know, what is it about green? I just figured it, I just figured it was celebrating St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> well, uh, at the end of the awful and terrible Justice League Cry for Justice, uh, Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow, uh, killed Prometheus, the uh, villain of, of uh, Cry for Justice, who was responsible for destroying Star City. Green Arrow's home, hometown, ripping off the arm of uh, Arsenal, or Red Arrow, uh, which is uh, Oliver's, not really his son or adopted son, but like a son to him, um, yeah. and then also responsible for killing off in the destruction of Star City, um, uh, Arsenal's, or Red Arrow's, uh, uh, small daughter. So, you know, Ollie killed Prometheus. And he's still on the hunt for the other guys who were involved in all of this stuff. So uh, Now, before you continue, I have to ask you a question. Yeah. After the ending of Cry for Justice, yeah. what inspired you to pick up Fall of Green Arrow? You know, I really like Green Arrow. And the reason why I stopped reading uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary is I just didn't like where they were taking... I, I did not like how they were splitting up the story between Black Canary and Green Arrow. I like them when they're working together as a team. Um, and so I didn't like having, you know, 11 pages here and 13 pages there. I, I liked a, the, uh, full story with both of them. And you weren't getting that on Black Canary Green Arrow. And I just wanted to give it a shot, even though I don't care for where they're taking Green Arrow. Cause, you know, we talked about it at the end of Cry for Justice that I think it's a mistake to make Oliver Queen a killer again, you know, cause we, we've seen the story and we've seen the destruction of Star City before. Um, but what what kind of has me intrigued by it is that they are preparing to do something new with Red Arrow or Arsenal. I, I'm not. I think they're. 
I can't remember if they're, I think they're going to make him Arsenal. I think he's going to lose the red arrow name. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're about to do something with him and it's all that's kind of tied in together. And so I, I decided to get it and I've read three issues now. I've got, uh, you know, Justice League, Rise and Fall, One Shot, uh, Titans number 23 and Grant Green Arrow number 31, which are all telling the same, uh, story there. And it's pretty good, even though I disagree with what they've done to these characters. Um, I, I, I'm not, again, I'm not thrilled with, uh, Green Arrow going down this, this dark path. Um, I also am a little, I, I find it a little inorganic that, uh, he and Black Canary are at odds and they're not talking. Um, you know, it's almost like they're not married. And I don't understand that because, you know, they have up until Cry for Justice been very close, very in love. I mean, it hadn't been that long since they first got married. Um, and I understand when something divides a couple, but it just seems a little, unnatural how the two of them really haven't spoken except in the presence of others. You know, um, <clears throat> the story has Oliver Queen on the run because all, all the heroes, particularly Barry Allen has a hard on for him. They want to bring him to justice, you know? And, uh, you know, there's a scene where, where he was able to get over on all three of them, you know, able to get over on Hal, Hal Jordan, Barry Allen and, uh, uh black Canary. And, you know, it, it does go back to show, Green Arrow's kind of a badass kind of guy, you know, he, he's, he's not Batman, but he has his own set of skills and he's even tougher than he's ever been because, you know, during one year later, he went and got even more skilled, you know, he, he studied more. So it's nice to see Green Arrow doing what he can do and that he's a, he, you know, he's a, he's a master martial artist, you know, he doesn't have to shoot you with his bow and arrow, uh, to be able to knock you down again. I'm I'm kind of, I'm on the fence on it. Not that it's that this story is being told poorly. I just kind of disagree with where the story is going. But still, I'm in. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see where they go, and I'm really hoping that they that they don't go too far off the edge where uh, uh, we can't enjoy Green Arrow anymore. Um, well, I will say, and and maybe you don't want to know this. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, the ending has already been revealed. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and this is something that it's kind of, you know, I think companies need to realize, um, you know, back in the old days, we actually were able to, they waited a couple of months before the end of something before soliciting something else. So as not to ruin the end. Um, but they've already solicited a green arrow ongoing series post, uh, starring Oliver Queen post this storyline. Right. Um, so I, I don't imagine he's going to become this big murderous guy that they're going to give him an ongoing series like Punisher or something. Well, and, and, I, and I think the question is, is, you know, is he going to be grim and gritty? You know, are he and uh, Black Canary going to separate? And I hope not, because, you know, it took a long time to get those guys together. And I, I like Black Canary and Green Arrow together. Um, you know, I understand that Green Arrow is a dysfunctional character. He always has been. But I, I'd like to see him get one thing right. You know, and, and, and I'm, yeah. and, and that's my big complaint, honestly, about what they did to, uh, Red Arrow and, you know, tearing off, uh, Roy's arm was great. I thought that was, I thought that was a, a, a beautiful image. It was our, our favorite image from 2009. Um, but what I disagree with that, with Red Arrow is, is them killing off his daughter because you, you have so few, uh, male characters in comics who are actually responsible fathers. So, you know, by all means, let's end that storyline. And I, I, I hate that. I, I, I absolutely hate that. I, for me, that's one of my, that was one of my favorite things about Deep Space Nine 
Yeah, and look, I can always make it about Star Trek. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I enjoyed so much about Deep Space Nine is that Ben Sisko, you know, the captain on that show, had a son. And it wasn't just, I have a son and I'm having my parents take care of him back on Earth. No, his son was there. His son was was continually a part of the story, and his priority was always his son. And I think those are interesting stories to tell, and I think Deep Space Nine proved that, that when you've got somebody with that personal stake, by all means, you know, use that. Because in a lot of ways, that's their vulnerability as well as their strength. And and I I really dug that about Roy's character, and now they've taken that away. So now what I am expecting is that we're going to have this, you know, grim and gritty Roy Harper that we're going to get in the DC universe. And I mean, just come on, you know. Can't you just build Grim and Gritty somewhere else? Do we have to kill the little kid? <laughs> yeah, I, I, but, you know, that said, Titans number 23, which was End of an Era, is a big retrospective issue. It has uh, uh, Wally and Dick and, uh, uh, God, all of a sudden I've forgotten her name, Wonder Girl, um, Troya, what's her name? Donna. Yeah, Donna, Donna, Donna Troy. Troy. Um, Anyway, all three of them are kind of talking about their experience, you know, throughout their lives with Roy and, you know, how, you know, Donna loved Roy and Roy loved Donna, how, you know, Roy proposed to Donna, but because uh, someone had prophesied that she would marry a man with red hair and he would be killed. Um, and so she thought that meant Roy. So she, she didn't accept the proposal and it turned out to be her other husband and kid. Um how uh, Wally knocked him around for uh, hurting Donna's feelings, how Dick never thought he measured up. It was, it was really kind of a nice kind of layer, you know, to to express to maybe fans who don't know who Roy Harper is, uh, kind of let them let them know and get a flavor of that. But, you know, Roy is still unconscious, where he has been unconscious since issue five, I think, of Cry for Justice, um, you know. We I, I, we haven't got to see see his reaction yet uh, to the death of his daughter or the loss of his arm, other than I can't feel my fingers. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's going to be coming up in the uh, the Rise of Red Arrow. Is that the storyline that's coming? The Rise up? of Arsenal. The I Rise think. of Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. Because I think he's ditching the Red Arrow name. So anyway, I, again, I'm still on the fence with what they're doing with the character, but I'm still in because I enjoyed these books. So there you go. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you know, we talked about a ton of books this week, and as if that wasn't enough, coming up in this coming week or so, we are going to have our Daniel Waite interview on the program, where we talk about uh, Deadpool, we talk about Wolverine Origins, and we talk about Dark Wolverine. Um, Now, one thing I want to say, and I was going to save it for the interview, because it's something that Daniel Waite told me during the interview, but I do want to... Get the news out, because I, I haven't seen it anywhere, and I know if I wait, it's going to freaking be announced on Monday on Marvel.com or something. <laughs> Is oh, that... I'm sure it'll be announced between when you record this and when it gets released. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure, because Marvel's already starting to release solicits, so it's coming up. Um, Dokken from Dark Wolverine. When Dark Wolverine ends, Dokken will be moving on. Um, same creative team, Daniel Way, Marjorie Liu, and Giuseppe Camuncoli, or whatever. Um, are going to be moving on to a new Dokken ongoing series um, post-Dark Wolverine. So, very excited about that. And, um, you know, we talk about that a bit in our Daniel Waite interview, so keep an eye out for that. When you listen to the show, there's also uh, an announcement of a contest. There's a, you know, obviously it's going to be having to do something, or something to do with Daniel Way. So, um, you know, keep an ear out for that in the coming weeks. Now we know Dokken doesn't die in Siege. 
Yeah, there you go. I just ruined another thing about Siege for everybody. Damn it, Paul! Well, and you know he's not obviously going to die in the upcoming Frankencastle crossover either. So, obviously, uh, you know, um, Frank Castle does not take out Dokken, uh like Dokken cut him up into little ribbons. Paul sucks. I don't Making suck. attention away from everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, another great week. Absolutely, as always, because Jonathan wasn't here, probably. That's right. That's right. Well, drunken Jonathan. Hopefully, he will have dried out at the Schick Center between now and next week, and, and we can have him back on. Yeah, and, we'll see. And if not, we'll have an intervention. <laughs> there you go. We'll record that. We'll, next week is the intervention. The Jonathan, Jonathan Landreth Landry. intervention. I like it. Yeah. All right, guys. Will you have a good one? Thanks, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.